0: Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Maud Med. Do your EHR and PM adapt to your style of practice? The ModMed EHR and PM do, with benefits like remembering preferences and automatically suggesting documentation and billing codes. Urologists voted ModMed the number one urology-specific EHR and PM solution available. Built by urologists with input from yours truly. Stop wasting 60 minutes and 200 for each of your open or no-show slot. Go to modmed.com slash prsnetwork set up an appointment with the team at ModMed Urology and shift your urology practice into high gear. Imagine a solution on a tablet or the web that works seamlessly with revenue cycle management, analytics, telehealth, payment processing, patient engagement tools, and much more. ModMed is transforming healthcare by placing doctors and patients at the center of care. Welcome to episode 167 of the Urology
0: Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co host, Mark Painter, and Dr. Ray Painter. And on today's episode, we're going to revisit Incident 2 billing. We had a question uh, that came in, and we wanted to follow up on our discussion that we had last week. Last week, we talked about Incident 2 in regards to injections, but we had another question come in that we wanted to address. Also, We had a question come in about a denial, and in this particular case, it was denial 173, which uh, is service equipment was not prescribed by a physician, so we want to talk about that. All right, let's get started. Let's talk a little bit more about Incident 2. We had a question from Jared, and Jared asks, I'm a solo solo urologist, newly working with a PA that I hired. What is the modifier for billing Incident 2? Or what is the mechanism for billing incident two? Thank you. All right, Mark, it's all yours.
1: All right, so we'll we'll take the tackle this from the Medicare perspective um, first. Um, so first of all, um, there is not a modifier that talks about incident two services. Um, the way incident two services are reported on a billing form. Is with a uh, NPI number on the r- rendering physician, and that's labeled differently within different systems. Um, but the person or who actually provides the service would would be the NPI number of the PA, and then you have a billing, uh, and they say billing provider. Um, that is the the billing. NPI number. And so in, in the circumstance where it's billed incident to, then you would have the PA and the rendering NPI slot and the physician in the billing NPI slot. Um, so that's that's kind of the mechanics of billing that. And then just a reminder from the standpoint of when that can be done, especially in the solo urologist side. I think we talked a lot last week about making sure your PA understands that they need to follow the plan of care. Any change at all in the plan of care, you need to switch and make your NPI the billing uh, or the, the rendering and billing provider. Uh, and then, of course, it's a new patient. You would put it under the NPI of the NP for both or the PA for both. And then, uh, of course, uh, any time uh, that there uh, there is a new problem that the patient presents with that the PA or the NP is dealing with. So, all of those things need to change, and and your PA would need to switch. Now, all of those situations assume that you as the physician are in the office when those services are provided. So, uh, if you're out of the office, and this happens a lot with a solo urologist, then your PA cannot bill Incident 2 uh, for Medicare. Uh, now, in the private sector, there's a bunch of different things that are happening right now. More and more of your private payers are uh, finally have, have gotten on board in the last couple of years with credentialing PAs. So you're going to need to make sure you're credentialing your PA with all of your private payers. Some of your private payers are asking for a modifier AS for Incident 2 services. Now, that AS modifier doesn't have a definition that really fits the PA. So you want to watch your payer bulletins. It's really not the right way to bill. But again, you know, your payers make some rules and they do have a little bit of leeway as long as they're not making up codes. So that's a code that they're adapting. So you'll want to double check with your payers. The other thing you want to be careful of uh, with some of the rules around credentialing. Uh, When a private payer does credential a mid-level, an APP, uh, they oftentimes, or even an M, a new MD, there are some potential workarounds for those situations for between when the APP or the MD applies to get credentialed with a payer and when they're actually uh, um, authorized fully to bill the, the payer. So some payers will allow for incident two billing in those circumstances because they don't know how to process those, whether you're in or out of the office. Um, And then there are some payers, although it's becoming a smaller list of payers, that don't require the physician to be in the office when the services are rendered, but that the physician is available by phone when those services are rendered by the APP and can still be billed incident too. So there, there are definitely nuances when you look at payers and know that those are changing quickly as these private payers are adapting more and more to the, to the significant increase in APPs in urology, as well as other specialties. I mean, with our uh, health professional shortage, uh, the the states and the payers have really opened up what APPs can do and how they can practice. And that is where a lot of these switches are coming into play and how they're adjudicating. So that's the first part of this, making sure that you're putting your claims out according to the payer rules, whether it's in Incident 2 billed under the physician, or you've got to use an AS modifier, or you can't bill Incident 2 for anything of an APP does. These are variations on the rules that you're going to have to watch with each one of these payers. And then the last thing I'll remind you of that we discussed was even though the value, um, the reimbursement to your practice in Medicare is at 85% and you, so you're losing 15% for that particular service is if it's not build incident two, um, that doesn't necessarily mean overall, it's the worst thing for your practice because now you have two individuals that are generating RVUs. So you don't want to go chasing pennies. So I'll just remind you of that. And then the second thing is depending on where you're located, um, I have seen a number of different groups that have been able to negotiate payment rates with their private payers that give payment parity for an APP. So don't just swallow everything whole. Now, obviously, Medicare Advantage plans are a little bit different. They are more likely to follow Medicare rules across the board. But even those payers have some leeway, especially in those underserved areas So you may have a little bit of uh, ability to negotiate your contracts a little bit different, but that is going to be geographic and market-specific.
2: Ray, comments? I was just uh, reminiscing a little bit, as Mark mentioned, private payers uh, may have a different set of rules. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, we were asked by one of the states to to define incident two for a private for private payers, what what rules we would set up, and we recommended that if the physician was available by phone, and within a 20 mile radius, that uh, incident two should be able to be billed. This is back before the PA. Issues came in, but it had to do with anything else that went into the office as well, and so some states or some private payers have adopted that rule all right and uh Mark,
0: you mentioned geographic area uh do any kind of state guidelines come into to play here, or is it? Uh, strictly with the
1: payers that you're looking at. So state rules come into play typically with licensure, meaning what is the APP? And in this case, you know, NPs and PAs may be treated differently by each state. So there are licensing requirements that are set by the state. Those allow, those basically define what a mid-level can and cannot do relative to their physicians and how much oversight they need or require. So, and the federal rules for uh, allowing direct contracting with Medicare uh, don't override those state rules for licensing. Um, Now, when it comes to states and payment rules for APPs and both PAs and NPs, um, I have not I'm not aware of any that require payers to handle reimbursement for those services provided by APPs differently than physicians. Um I think that is at at least what from what I know at this point in time that that is primarily market driven. Now that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. You know, we've had fights over the years for parity for chiropractors and we're still having fights on reimbursement relative to PTs and OTs, as well as some of your your social work and and those and those types of individuals that are, you know, not physicians or not NPI related. So uh we can, you know, I so and and then the last group is surgical techs, right? That's another one that's out there. So um, There's a lot that's going on at the state level relative to both licensure and reimbursement. Um, and ultimately, you want to keep an eye on that. But just uh, right now, I'm not aware of any that dictate specifically how the mid-levels are to be reimbursed in the private sector. All right. Okay,
0: let's, uh, let's move on to the next question. We've got a question from Tracy. Uh, Tracy asks. Uh, she says, "This is in regards to Optilum, Cat 3 code 0499T." She says, "I know there will be a Cat 1 code of 52284 that will take effect 112024." So we sent one claim in with the Cat 3 code of 0499T. Medicare denied it. And the claim adjustment code was given PR-173, which is, which said the balance is the patient's responsibility due to the fact that the service slash equipment was not prescribed by a physician. Does this mean we need to write a script for the drug on the balloon? Just doesn't make sense to me. All right, Mark.
1: Yeah, Tracy, I'm with you. That makes no sense whatsoever. Um, Now we do have... A number of issues relative to Category Three codes, coverage and physician for and physician reimbursement because it is a Status C or carrier priced code. Um, we do know, um, and Tracy, you probably know as well, that the 499 T and then subsequently the five two two eight four um, are assigned to an APC. So there's a a fairly prescribed pathway for payment of the Optiloom uh to the facility but the professional service side is is not as well defined. Um now um this is not something um that I see typical there are a number of drug eluting stents in the market um and i did not see in a quick search um, and nor am i aware of any circumstances where the drug um, that is coded on the stent is billed separately um, it's typically um, embedded in the supply itself and so it's not a separate uh, payment uh, for that uh, for that drug so the prescription issue is it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, my, my thinking is, is that this PR-173 is just the code that whoever was processing this manually threw out the door back at you. So um, my recommendation would be run through an appeal um, and see what happens. And if the, you've already tried one appeal, I'd go up another level um, at this point. Uh, It is, it should not be denied for that reason. Um, It may get a, you may get a coverage denial or something else relative to that, but uh, I don't see a reason to deny it based on the prescription wasn't prescribed by a physician. Now, the one thing I will say um, that you might check is make sure in a situation like this, where we know the urologist is the one who is the one requesting the optimum. Um, make sure that your referring provider uh, as well as your billing provider have the same NPI number or are in the same practice. Um, so that that's one of those things that might come up in the in the weird processing side that you might take a look at. But otherwise, it seems to me like appeal is the only way to to see what's really going on here, Ray. Anything to add?
2: No, I, I don't think so. All right. Okay. Uh,
0: let's wrap this episode up here, and we will. I will remind you that the Urology Advanced Coding and Reimbursement Seminar. Registration is open and early bird registration discounts are ending, uh, October 27th, 2023. So if you have not yet registered, we encourage you to get registered and join us in Las Vegas. Uh, that's the early bird ending in Las Vegas. Special early bird pricing for new Orleans is still, uh, available, uh, for a little bit and we'll let you know when that closes. But Las Vegas early bird discounts are ending. So we encourage you to get registered. You can go to the episode page, PRSnetwork.com forward slash one six seven for episode one hundred and sixty seven. Or if you just go to PRSnetwork.com on the uh seminar there's the seminar registration button right on the homepage. Okay, let's get some final thoughts. Um uh, Mark, final thoughts.
1: Well, you know, the, um, so number one, I know that we cover incident two billing quite a bit, um, and all this, and, you know, hopefully this is helpful as we go through the ins and outs, all this stuff and all the details around, uh, the incident two billing. So hopefully if you put together all the episodes we've covered, you've got a really good picture of what's going on. Um, so it, but it is worth paying attention to, especially in today's market where essentially, as we've discussed, you're not getting raises and your costs are going up, so the margins are thinner. You got to consider what you can and can't do to keep that net um, in the right at the right level. Um, and then the second thing is, uh, with new Category 3 codes coming out next year, and all sorts of activity in urology with some of this new technology that's out there. Um, It's really important to do all your research. Um, I know Tracy, um, and I know that Tracy does a lot of research before she asks questions. Um, So, um, But I also say that you need to be careful of where your research lands you. Um, I got a couple of questions earlier this week um relative to whether or not telehealth rules were expiring because the old uh final rule the 2023 final rule said it would only last for 151 days and there were a lot of websites that still had that 151 days out um sometimes the internet doesn't keep up which is remarkable to say right when we're believing the internet is on top of everything Um, But you need to really go down when you're doing these research to that primary source data. Um, The telehealth rule um, that extended telehealth through the end of 2024 was in the Consolidated Appropriations Act. And so it didn't translate back into changing necessarily the final rule. Um, So if you've got an old copy of that, you're going to get bad data. And some of these websites that promote that they're totally on top of telehealth, they didn't update their websites either. So um, take a look at your source um, as you go through that, double check everything, keep digging. um, And of course, uh, you know, we will keep digging and putting out information as well. Um, But, uh, and then definitely appeal and, and run through all of your options on the appeal side to see what you can learn on that side of the equation as well. So, um, get what you can up front, clean it up. But when you're we're in that slog of AR fight back and forth, dot your eyes, cross your t's, and throw the documentation over the wall. Ray, final thoughts.
2: Well, it's like old W. C. Fields always said, "Trust everybody, but cut the cards." And and what Mark has just suggested is cut your cards when you do the research it's it's uh, we've all seen patients that have done their internet research and come in with all kinds of ideas about their problem and their treatment and it may be 180 degrees off we see a lot of practices that have made decisions that's costing them a lot of money because they interpreted a rule one way when it should have been interpreted another, or there was another rule that overrode the one they were looking at. So that's the reason we always think you should uh, be sure you're getting second opinions, either through audits or if you have a question, Send it to someone else and get their opinion as well.
0: All right. Okay, that's it for today. I want to uh, we want to thank ModMed again for their support of this episode. If you have any EHR or practice management uh, needs, or if you're thinking about getting a new system, or if you're just exploring, we do encourage you to check out ModMed. You can go to modmed.com forward slash PRS network, and they do have some specials there for our listeners. All right. That's all. Take us out, Ray.
2: Happy coding.
0: Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life special thanks to carl painter for the music today you can find his music on spotify under his record label fiduciary